Hello, I'm Toby Haydock, and this is Who's Round. There is no such thing as Toby Haydock. Who's Round does not exist. There is no such thing as Toby Haydock's Who's Round. We're in an art gallery. I'm going to ask a very patient gentleman to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Uh, my name's Terence Lodge, and many years ago I did one or two or three Doctor Whos, and here I am. And you started with an attack of the crabs with the Macro Terror. And it's a, it's a nice part. I mean, you're the, you're the man that... It was a good part, yes. I remember my, my agent saying, oh, you're, you're the rebel, you're the leader of the rebels. So I sort of, sort of watched it, and there you were, doing your Lawrence Olivier and Henry V bit, you know. And I thought, yes, I did do a sort of oration to a crowd and worked them up and all that and that part. You're talking to a crowd of people, yeah. and, and Ian Fairburn, I think, goes, oh, well, come on, you used to be nice, what's the problem? You go, there are, there are crabs everywhere. And you get very... And you do give them, as you give them... You give well, them hell and get dragged away to be Oh, tortured. I remember something correctly there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so that was quite useful because... Uh, John, you know, used me in one or two other things there. He did, I noticed that. I was looking, he did, yeah. did you in a few uh, Z cars or softly, softlies? Yes, mm-hmm. little bits of parts, because I did quite a few of those, little bits and pieces and things like that. And uh, a very small part in War and Peace, which is huge production of War and Peace. But he always seemed to rope me into something while he was, while he was very nice, stuffed ATV as well. And, yeah. and do you remember um, Patrick Trackman working with Patrick? I Connick? remember working with Patrick very well, yes. He's. He's a delight, of course. He's an absolute... He's my idea of an actor, Patrick Cowden. And I liked his attitude to working in television, which young actors of my age then, you might say, but um, older ones too, were a little bit snooty about still in those days doing television. I'm a stage actor, you know, and I'm not interested in that video, TV film stuff or any of that, despite the money being very comfortable. And I liked his attitude. Was why, why, Why would I want to go and do a play shouting at an audience in the West End every night when I can just come in here and do something in a day and go away again. <laughs> I thought, that's a nice attitude to mm. it. And he was very committed to uh, television and all its works. You know. Yeah. But, uh, good memories of that. Um, funnily enough, there was a lady in it. Now, you're going to remind me. I think her name is in front of me somewhere. But I'm going to forget it. Annika Wills? Yes, Annika Wills in that. By strange coincidence, she lives very close to my oldest daughter now, oh, right. down, in, down in Devon, who uh, met her first, I think, uh, when my daughter was a stage manager in a company for a while. And I think she had met Annika Wills before, but then found themselves all these years later, all these years later, uh, quite close to each other in a little place called Bubby Tracy. How funny, that's yes. where Annika Wills... She's a lovely lady, Annika. She's, yes, uh, yes, she's, she's, she's still going, going strong personality-wise. Oh, definitely, yes. She's, uh, yes. she's not shy. Yeah. Um, so, um, all these funny, funny beginnings that come back to me, you know. Well, it's a funny business like that, yes, isn't it? Yes, yes. My abiding memory of that, which I was going to mention earlier, was because we had to do uh, chase scenes and things in some great canyon somewhere out, which was used for all their different, all different storylines and things. And going out there and running around with barely being this sort of revolutionary character, with not very much clothing on, appalling cold day, and the delights of when things stopped getting into a charabang or something and begin giving little reviving toddies of BBC brandy <laughs> which made it worthwhile yes. but by golly running around in that flat I've never forgotten those 
I don't know what you've called it, sort of landslip or... Yeah, of course, quarry, I suppose. A quarry, it's just a, basically a quarry, yeah. yeah. But it was more than one quarry because there was ups and downs and you know, like, like a fairground you could chase over. And that was bitterly cold and I was barely wearing it. <laughs> so I remember that strongly, you know. Well, and, I mean, good, good actors you always got in Doctor Who. Peter Jeffrey is the main uh, guest actor yes. in uh, Macritera. Yeah. You know, these are, yes. these are good actors to be getting on television at tea time. Very good actor. I worked with him years, years later in a, in a, in a film. But I, he, used to, he used to like his crickets and um, he'd bring his newspaper in and be reading about the cricket. And we, we did share this caravan. Well, he allowed me to share his caravan. And I, I used to bring a little radio in, <laughs> long wave radio, so that he could sit and listen to the, while we were, you know, listen to the commentaries on the current cricket scene whilst we were waiting for our next, on, you know, our next sets, uh, Appearances, but, uh, well, it's but, interesting. but you, you mentioned to me, I think, in your, your list here, that the person that I was in Macroterra with was Gerton Clauber. Mm. And Gerton Clauber and I met in that. It's a small world, had met, had met before as students in Mary Richards' drama school. Oh, well, there we go. Not only that, but I had a girlfriend, my first girlfriend there, Gwendolyn Watts. And uh, it, as these things do, it flowered for a while and then just came to an end. And the minute it came to an end, Gurton pounced. And he married her. And they, yeah. and they stayed until her very, sadly, early demise. They were together. I used to, you know, go, going to uh, auditions and things for, I don't know, for adverts or whatever it might be, your agent might send you along for. And Gurton and I always seemed going for the same thing. We'd always sort of bump in, into each other and have a, a chat about the past. But he was quite a character, Gurton Clamour. And uh, I never forgot him. Was he a bit larger than life? Or? Yes, he was. Very, I think somebody brought him, you know, rather a retiring sort of person that I was in those days, probably still am. Yes, he was. He was uh, quite, quite like a wind, you know, storm sometimes. But he was great fun. He, 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 he knew the most interesting people, and of course, he had a very interesting background. I remember once at some audition, bumping into him and, and saying something about Czechoslovakia, because his background was that, that part of it. He said, ah, 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 no, no, no. It is now the Czech Republic. In Slovakia, they are totally separate entities. You know, stickler that I wouldn't say the wrong thing. Ah. And uh, yes, that, he, yes, Gurton's father, it would transpire, was quite a friend of, of Michael Winner's, or Michael Winner's parents. And Gurton got some film work and, and, and on the back of that and did one or two, you know, small parts, maybe, but there we are, famous um, Macrotera. You know, there he would be racing around in one of. That guy's uh, films. Yeah. Anything that gets us work. Anything it? that gets you work, yes. Well, Michael Winner, of course, was getting his own work was based on his father having a huge amount of money and being able to put stuff on his own projects. Yeah. Know? And he would take somebody like Gurton, who he knew, and just, you know, who at that time wasn't, you know, this had happened before he'd even become the, the drama school, you know, so he wasn't even a professional actor at that point, but he got, got to appear in some of these things. Um, so I've always remembered that about Gurton. But there we are. Well, it's, 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 it's interesting because, you, you know, you talked about John Davis and, you know, you worked with him a lot and then your other two Doctor Whos were both directed, we've got an article in front of us about it, mm. by, by Barry Letts. Mm. In fact, and in fact, certainly we'll come on to Planet of the Spies, but we'll do it in order, but I think I, I mention it now because yourself, Andrew Staines and Christopher Burgess 
always seem to pop up in, in Barry Letts's Doctor Who's. Mm. Only all three together in Planet of the Spiders, but before that, you've, you all sort of, you're all interchangeable. So Often. did Barry like to have a sort of rep of... To a certain extent, I think that's true. I'll tell you exactly what happened in my relationship with Barry Letts. Um, when I'd, I'd been out in... I'd been at Liverpool Playhouse, uh, where... Bernard Hepton had become, after he left Birmingham Rep, he'd taken over the uh, artistic direction job at the, at the Liverpool Playhouse. I'd been having a miserable time in a very poor penultimate season at the old Vic uh, before it became, moved on to becoming the National Theatre. You know. And uh, I didn't want to go on the tour that was going to come at the end of the season from that. And they, it was under my contract. I was you know, supposed to... Not, I'm supposed to go on, on, on tour with Julius Caesar or whatever we were doing. And Bernard rang me up and said, would I like to go up to Liverpool and become, be his associate director? And I said, yes, I would. And I explained to him the problem. And he said, well, who's, who's running the shop there now? And I said, well, it's basically Oliver Neville's taken over to sort of see it out. You know. And he said, well, go and, you know, I know Oliver very well. Go and have a word with him. And say, this is not you as an actor. That's, uh, no, this is you coming up and being a director. And that's the, that's the only difference. I'm the only person <laughs> to get out of going on that tour. A lot of actors who really didn't want to have to do it. Um, and whiffled off to, uh, up to uh, Liverpool, where I did one or two plays, directed one or two plays, acted one or two plays, and uh, met people, uh, you know, I will see later on, but after a period, I thought, well, I'm going to go back to London and I'm going to just sort of look for some telly work. And the good thing that happened to me at the Playhouse is that I'd got, a, I'd got an agent. Bernard's agent had come to see him, and I'd, and I'd never had an agent before, and I'd been in the business about six or more years by then, you know. And um, so that was good. I thought, well, I'll go back to London and see what this agent can do for me. A man called Brian Drew, sadly no longer with us, but I had, I had my agent for many years. And um, he, he got me one or two, interesting, I don't, not really, except for an Age of Kings, I hadn't really done much television. And uh, I did one or two adventures and things. One of those adventures went down particularly well. There was a very good part of a man under stress who passes into different aspects of his character. You don't know one minute if he's going to be an American general or somebody in prison or whatever. It was that kind of storyline. And um, Barry Letts was in that. When, when he was working with John Pertwee, he remembered me from, solely from, from that time in that rather showy part in that mm. particular thing. And that's where I got that, that job from. And thereafter, he used me a lot, many times. And then in later years, there was a whole, in the middle of my career, there was a whole gap of several years where I stopped acting altogether. And uh, finished around about 1975. I said, I had three children to look after. I needed steady income coming in. I said, right, we're gonna, I tried all sorts. I did several very interesting jobs, as it happened, finishing up with running a brass rubbing centre in uh, Westminster Abbey. Uh, when I felt I'd had enough of all that, and a friend of mine, Brian Murphy, was putting out, a, doing a play, taking a play out on tour, Sweeney Todd. My brother-in-law was a scenic designer. 
and never met Brian before, but said, oh, I'm, you know, my, my, I have this relative who's an actor. And Brian Murphy said, oh, who is he? Terry, Terry Lodge. We knew each other very well from a long time before. And uh, that, that was my first job that got me back into the business. Well, once that had sort of established me as being back and all the rest of it, I had to get my agent together again and try and find work. And I wrote to Baronet and explained what the situation had been like. And work came immediately. I did a Doctor a David Copperfield series for him, playing, playing Mr. Spenlow, which was terrific fun. And then uh, several other things that he used to... Oh, uh, Alice in Wonderland. And uh, the common denominator of a lot of things was always Andrew Davis, always seemed to be in them as well. <laughs> so I began to feel, yes. And it was a bit strange because in previous years, I think I'm getting my, not jumping over something, um, I, did a, uh, I directed a play at Belgrade Theatre in Coventry, and one of his sons was in that. And I went up to... Some, sometime later I went up to Liverpool Playhouse again after all those years to play or to alternate playing Scrooge together with Richard Todd he played the evening shows I played the matinees with double shows and um, Barry's other son was in that and, uh, and finally Barry came up to see that production and that, that actually the last time I ever saw him but uh, we had a good old chat and that so it was a long long sequence from his days as an actor through me having been an actor and becoming an actor again, if you see what I mean. Yeah, and it's a typical story of him, that, that you wrote to him and explained the situation, because Jenny McCracken, who's in Carnival of Monsters, said a similar thing. She, her agent had gone bust, right. owing her lots of money, and she, I think, rang him up or wrote to him about the situation, and he gave her a job in a series that afternoon. Right. Um, he seems to have been, I mean, everybody seems, he seems to have been a very highly regarded man. I think it was, it was part of his personality and his openness to people generally, but I think it was also part of that period he spent himself, you know, after a very good war record, you know, he spent in the theatre and, and, and um, knew how tough it could be sometimes for people. And if they'd sort of persevered and gone on, he would give them a break. And if they then did well for him, he would stand by them, you know, as, as time went by, if anything was, was suitable, you know. But, I mean, I was tremendously grateful. There was one casting director with, who my agent remembered I'd done before I'd stopped acting, and, and Barry virtually re-established me as having any kind of a career, you know, which then went on for some good few years. Well, the first part he gave you in Doctor Who is, and I'm delighted to be meeting you today for many reasons, but not least because the three grey alien bureaucrats in Carnival of Monsters, I think, are amongst the greatest Doctor Who creations of all time. And they're played by three great stalwarts of Doctor Who, Peter Halliday, Michael Wisher, and yourself. And Aurum, the ever-changing, vacillating, cowardly, oh. um, manipulated... Um, and you've got this wonderful gait where you sort of plod about behind Michael Wisher as he tells you what to do. It's a great part. It's a great part. We, that's the only time there was any, ever any slight strain between not just myself, but Peter and Michael, with Barry. Uh, not with Barry, but with the whole production company, but particularly with relation to costumes. Um, we have, you can remember what the costumes were like. It's very strange, very enclosing pieces of design. Um, and two things 
together with them was going to be an overall head mask. And we went away and we had, you know, what do they call that phrase? They're t- taking... Yeah, you were, you, you were measured for the mask. Measured for the other. mask. Even yeah. more that, you actually had sort of stuff poured Plus over. and put all over yeah, your face. All, yeah, all that. And um, we did all that. And I went back and I chatted to the other two and said, do we like this idea? And I said, so I said, we're not going to wear those masks. I'm going to get the makeup to do something for us, and we're not going to. We hadn't, it wasn't a big argy bargy about it, but it was. And he, he accepted it, and, we, and I was very glad because it was just, there were elements of humour mm. in those relationships that would have been very hard to play behind a wall. Well, they'd yeah. have been lost, all the nuances yeah. of the character. And it, the fun of it was, was, was that. So I was pleased about that, but he got sort of a little bit of justice back because when we, had, when we were in the studio doing some of the shooting for it at one stage, we got to about midday, <laughs> lunch break, and there's lunch break, everybody, and everyone was going to the BBC canteen or whatever it was to have a, you know, an hour while they had a bit bite to eat and a cup of tea, a cup of coffee. And none of, none of us guys could, could leave the studio because we could, not, we could not sit down in those costumes <laughs> at all. So we stood there all the way through a 15-minute break, I think it was. It wasn't very long. But I was quite cross about it. <laughs> But I think that was the only uh, slight difference we ever had. But that's the, that's the history of those co- that, those, that appearance. Oh, well, they would have been very different of, if of you'd the three, been, of the three of us. You'd stuck, been stuck behind yeah. latex. And I found it very strange. Years later, what now? About six years ago or so, uh, getting the DVD of it and giving it to my, what would he be, 10, 12-year-old grandson, my, my oldest grandson. And... Uh, giving that to him, and he was just, you know, he must have been about 11. He was moving on in school, anyway. Um, the kudos he got in the playground, <laughs> for his sake, was Doctor Who was sort of coming back mm. and stuff, saying, oh, yes, my dad was in Doctor Who. <laughs> Massive kudos from there on. He was rather a shy boy up to then. I mean, he's ended up being the head boy. <laughs> oh, well, very good. So I think we engineered something there. Good, you know? good old Doctor <laughs> Who coming to the childhood's rescue again. Yeah. But uh, there we are. It's a great story. It's a very witty script, and it's um, and obviously you're now with John Pertwee rather than than Patrick. So were they different experiences? And you didn't can't have had that much to do with him because he was he tended to be with Tennille Evans and uh, and, and the other block because you did it in two yeah. different blocks. Didn't you? I always think of, it, of having quite a lot to do with. It. The thing about John was he lived just down the road from me, and once after you know first rehearsals ever once we'd established this, he lived in Castle Knoll, which is a road that runs down from. Hammersmith Bridge on the way to Richmond Barnes and um, I lived there for about 28 years and he had a house further on down and the dear man he once once I'd done a few rehearsals on the first of those two things and then later on we did so automatically he would just turn up my door at my door and drive me into into the, into the studio you know which was very very nice and we'd have interesting chats um, some of which we may come back to later. Mm, yes, and we got on very well together. I, I liked John very much, and I liked his his attitude to it. And I do. I don't know whether I. I mean, you probably have this heard this story before, but I'll I'll say it anyway. I was in the studio with, with uh, John, obviously John, and when they we stopped in the middle of a rehearsal period, rehearsal really, uh, because they wanted to run. The, the, the filming of the transmogrification of Doctor Who into the, other, the new one. Yeah. And uh, 
So we all took a break, sat down, and there were monitors there, and they showed up. If somebody just wanted to check something in it, you know. And so I, and I was standing next to John Pertwee, and, uh, and, he, and he had just been lying on the floor because he'd been doing something else in the scene. So he was, got up and stood up and looked at this monitor. And we just watched it through, and it all went very well. And uh, just as he was getting he just bent, bent his head down towards me and said, hmm, what do you think? I think that's... Looks right to me, John. Yeah. Mm. Not my idea of Doctor Who, but there we are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a true story. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, he, he, it wasn't being unkind or unpleasant or not. He took his commitment to that role so seriously. It wasn't just an actor doing a job. On it. He really cared about what he was doing in that part and the responsibility he had to the whole series. And that's what I admired about him, because you don't always get that sometimes in those kind of things. You know. So he was a splendid fellow. Well, what a career behind him as well. Mm. You know. Brilliant comic, well, a film, good film actor, all those things. You know. Well, yes, and because the fact that you'd seen his transmogrification meant, of course, yes, because you returned for Planet of the Spiders. And I, I, you, well, you get the impression that Barry Letts had decided to surround him on his last one. Mm. The, almost the entire cast of Planet of the Spiders are people that have been in it before. Mm. And John Dirth, who'd been in it before, his lackeys are you, Chris Burgess, um, Andrew Staines, Carl Forgione hadn't done it before, but the, the three out of the four of you yes. were sort of semi-regular sort of Doctor Who faces, really. Yes. Um, oh. So was that to get a sort of feeling of team teamwork around John Because they were great things for actors to, to have, because after all... you're. You know, it's very nice if you get a part in a television play and all the rest of it. But you're, here you're getting several episodes or something. You know. So it keeps you financially able afterwards to go off into a stage play, mm. which is going to play, pay my pay, you know, I mean, I did quite a lot of, um, not several, yes, a certain amount of acting up at the, uh, in Manchester. Uh, not at the, the, what I still think of as the new development, you know, but the library theatre. The library theatre, yeah. And I did several plays there and, uh, at different times. And, of course, one of the persons I worked with there, here, hereby lies the story, was uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Sladen. There's um, something that came to mind, because it was strange for me that we went through that process of her being that little working ASM and then her doing some very small parts and then me moving on and eventually going back to Manchester in that case and finding her there now as an actress, and then going on at the same, roughly the same sort of period, just either before or just after all that, working with her as an actress in television, in Doctor Who, and everything else. And we, we, we moved that, that trajectory, you know. I, it was like watching somebody's entire career. I'd known her from the beginning to And, of course, my old... Somebody I'd known so long, longer than I'd known her, Brian, um, you know, who's one of the people I go have, have known longest in the profession. And he started off in the same way as a student coming and walking about. Extremely highly and underused, talented man, that, that, that guy. You know. And he's never really been... I don't he works, he still works to this day, but he's never really, I think, been treated... As an extremely good actor he is, you know, people should know more about Brian Miller. <laughs> and um, well, and what about yourself? Because you've done that thing of um, we, we alluded to this before. Um, I turn the tape on, but um, you you have 
understudied some of the, the biggest names in the business, uh, Donald Pleasance, mm, Charlton yeah. Heston, was that right? Did I read that right? In the I'm program? afraid to say that is the truth, yes. yes. So it was a bit where, of a joke, of course. But, uh, where do you, where, I mean, as an actor, you know, one wants to perform, so how do you reconcile that? Was, was you, were you initially reluctant to, to do it, or was it something that you get into a mindset where you go, well, no, because this is a different thing? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I came to a certain point when I stopped acting altogether. And I was out of the business for some five to seven years. What would it have been? It was about seven years, actually. Um, so when I came back, we've talked about that. Um, my attitude was if somebody like Barry or John Davis or whoever it might be was going to remember the old days and give me a job, that was very nice. I was very glad of it. Other people who, you know, I'd done all sorts of things with other directors as well. And some were happy to see me back. <laughs> some may have stopped and weren't doing that anymore. Um, and I, my attitude was, well, I'm, I'm back doing this now and I'll just take whatever comes. And perhaps it won't kick off at all because I've been, you know, everybody I knew in the business has largely forgotten about me, let alone um, trying to find new people to work for, you know. And, and that's what I did. And I was very... Uh, there was a period when it came back almost by accident. It, came, it, goes, it swings right back again. So that man who didn't have anything to do hanging around in Wolverhampton all those years before, Harold, and us going off and having coffee and him teaching me, and him and Nick Selby teaching me a lot of things about literature and about life as well. This was, how this was yes, this was before we started recording. This is a certain gentleman who's never been in Doctor Who, despite what you may have heard, called Harold Pinter. Yeah. <laughs> well, he might have come very close. If he'd, I'm sure he'd done the work. He, when he was David Barron, I'm sure he'd have been very pleased with the work. But he was so out of, so out of his... Out of, out of, you know, Des- desperate looking for somewhere to live with that baby arriving, which I've forgotten that. But no, all those years later, um, people like that were happy to... You know, I-, I had worked for him as an actor before, and uh, when I turned up to understudy Donald in this, I managed to get my wiggle my way into that. It was a very long period since I'd last seen him. <laughs> I went over and tapped him on the shoulder and said, hello, and he just looked up to him, oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> And our relation continued, continued like that from, from then on. And sometimes I'd be playing, some of the stuff I did, I'd do an understudy part in the play and play a small part as well. Some were just understudies on their own. Uh, some would walk on parts on their own, you know, things like mm-hmm. that. I'd do anything, really, and just go on so, learning. So what were you covering Heston for? It's Quig in Mutiny Court Martial. Mm-hmm. And we used to, I used to... I don't think he'd have found this very funny, but one of the, two of the other actors thought it quite amusing. I said, really, you know, I'm the right build for this part. <laughs> if you're looking for Humphrey Bogart, not, not Charles Heston. <laughs> but what, uh, what a very kind man, very nice man, who uh, thought it was all quite fun. Um, but yeah, that was one of the... Uh, who else did I do? Charles Heston, Donald Pleasance, uh, Richard Bryars, Paul Eddington. Paul I'd worked with... Uh, as an actor as well, I think. Very sad, his demise. He, the year before, I'd been at Chichester um, playing in The Miser with Ian Richardson, who goes back to my days at the Birmingham Rep, Ian, and I was playing a small part in that with him. But I also understudied him as well in that. So, two once I wrote a play once at the Birmingham Rep and had it done, and Ian played a very important part in that, and I thought, oh, we've come full circle again, you know. 
which, um, so no, I've never regretted doing that. I mean, if you, if you work with somebody like uh, Ian Holm or oh, Richard Bryars or Donald, of course, right? you're just on a learning curve forever. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing. Nothing. Uh, I never felt inferior in any way to doing all that. I loved watching these masterclasses in acting that you get when you do that. And it's very important that you're very responsible about these things. The first fellow understudy I worked with was Maurice Kaufman, who'd, oh, yes. who'd had a good career of his own, but was in a, a poorly way by then and um, kept going because he just loved it all so much, kept going by doing understudy jobs. So I learned a lot from him and we he was a bit suspicious of me at first because he hadn't really heard of me although he had been the boyfriend of Anna Barry before I <laughs> before I was but we never talked about that and um, I shared a dressing room with Morris once two or three times and he'd um, he'd had he had esophageal cancer problems yeah. and he'd had remission he'd had remission and all that and uh, he would Albert Finney, who is a great mate of you, they were great mates down the years, was the first person, I think, who suggested to him, well, look, why don't you come along and be my understudy in this, that, play, rather. You know, it'll, it'll, it'll earn a wage and all the rest of it. And that's sort of what started him off on that path. So he always did Finney understudies. But, he was, but he'd known Harold Pinter for a very long time, too, and he was delighted that the last thing he ever did was uh, to be directed by Harry Printer acting a part which he hadn't at that stage done for a few years and I think Harold knew perfectly well what he was doing the guy was perfectly suitable for the part was that the 12 Angry Men? yeah the 12 Angry Men and I said well what what up to Harold for that you know because he didn't I knew he died not long after that not long after that I went to see him in uh, Charing Cross Hospital in in Hammersmith and uh, right up on that 14th floor there but what and, and Honor was there Honor Blackman was there who I'd worked with all those years before, in, years before in the Avengers. And of course, they'd had a huge marital blow up and things in years past. And problems. But no, she was there at his bedside. And when, she, when I came in, I don't know if she remembered me at all, but she just looked up and she just left the room. You know, her point being, you know, as a friend, come to talk to him. He can hear me all the time, but she made room for me to have a good long, couple of long chats with him at different times. But he knew that he, was, you know, the exit was on the way. But in the, period, in the times when he was doing the understudying, the plays go out on tours. There was one play, I can't remember which one it was, but there was one play that went out on a pre-London tour, and he just took his drip and everything with him, wheeled it around with him. He would not, not be there, you know, until he could no longer do that sort of thing. But he did that for a while. He would not be beaten. So, great man. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, it's, I think that's a, a great ex- uh, example that if you're an actor, you're an actor and you, you just do it. And you've, uh, I mean, uh, when you look back, what, are, what have been the highlights of, of the, the jobs that you've done? And have you enjoyed your time as an actor? Absolutely, absolutely. You talk, we, we talked before this recording, we, we, we talked about that uh, David Weston book that came out a couple of years ago about his joys as an understudy. And um, the, the burden of that book is, is you have this terrific privilege if you do this job in whatever capacity. You know? Not many people can do it to the, that kind of... And um, 
yes, I, 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 I admire that, that spirit that those people showed, as I've just described them. And um, I don't do it anymore now. I haven't acted for 15 years. 1998. I did a very interesting play at the Gate Theatre in London, Irish play. Uh, I'm going to forget the title of it. No, um, not, not contract. It wasn't the contractors. Anyway, it was. Uh, it was came and seen by. It was. It was very successful, and they had to put on an extra show for the profession. And actors came to see this play, and Peter Brook came to see this play, and wrote in the Evening Standard it was the best thing on in London at the moment. And, the, 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 the cast were, you know, royally treated as being being a good lot, and uh, they had a special afternoon. When agents came, agents filled the, the matinee space, and were all busy writing down these actors' names and for things. And I got a small job immediately afterwards in some terrible Channel Five soap, which didn't last for very long. And I thought we've had queue, people queuing for those tickets, and people queuing to get in to see it. And if the best that my little efforts can offer to somebody is to go and do a kind of re repeat performance of that for some character in a rather poor soap. I thought, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. That's, that's, that's not what it was all about. You know. And I've um, ha been quite happy about it. You, know. you can't go on forever. <laughs> no looking back? No, no, I mean, I, 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 this, having this little chat we meant... I've got out CVs and all sorts of things from the past here, and I'm amazed at some of the things I've forgotten that I've done, or people that I've worked with. I can't. Be, sometimes I, did I really do that? You know, that's, that's that's more or less what it feels like a lot of the time. And very surprising uh, period a while ago when I was rung up. I don't know who it was rung me up and said, "Would you like to come and do this Doctor Who convention?" And I went along and met David Weston and Anna Barry and lots of other people that I've worked with in other theatres in Nottingham. I've worked all over the country in regional theatres, which was my particular passion. The whole idea of regional theatre and the repertory movement and everything from historically, you know. I was really far more interested in that than my few, but interesting, but few occasions, you know, working in West End plays as an actor or as an understudy. Perhaps it was more fun being an understudy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been great fun for me. I've, typically, I've exceeded my time. It's been absolutely fantastic. So, uh, I'll just uh, round off with the, the, the two questions I always ask. One is, what is your charity who will benefit from the fact that you've very kindly come in and given me your time for nothing? Oh, I think the Macmillan for, for cancer would be Appetite for lovely. Some of the things we've been talking about, actually, yeah. Um, and Doctor Who, you mentioned the Cuban Missile Crisis. Doctor Who is 50 years old this year because it started the day after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, mm -hmm. which is also therefore 50 years yes. ago this year. So, uh, what is your message to uh, the Doctor Who fans on this illustrious year? Well, Robert Kennedy is the thing I want to talk about very, oh, okay. very quickly because. Yeah. I was working at the Alexandra Theatre again after all those years, and I was being a director there as well, directing plays. And an actor called Mark Heath, who was a black actor. Yes, he was in a Doctor Who. And um, I'd known him from, from that, probably. And um, we were doing The Odd Couple. And I'd cast... It sounds ridiculous now in this day and age, but I'd cast one of the poker players, uh, you know, the two yeah. Odd Couple poker players. Mark, I cast Mark. And it created an extraordinary flurry. Oh, a black actor playing a white man's part and all that. Um, it certainly did in Birmingham, but we got commended by equity because that's, they were trying to push more proper casting like that. But apart from that part of the story, 
we were downstairs underneath the stage where the staff had a television set up, you know, and we were down there for some reason having a cup of tea, looking up, and the thing about Kennedy, Robert Kennedy came through. Mark was standing right by and just staring, absolutely fixed at the, at the pictures. And then he just very quietly, without turning to me, said, I ain't never going back. And that's a little bit how I like about the, feel about the theatre now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ah, that's great. Uh, Mark, Mark played Ralph in The Moonbase, which was the story before your Doctor Who, actually, and The, the Macro Terror. Yes. It was the, the story immediately before that. Um, and so, yes, well, and it's Doctor Who's 50th year. That so, is Doctor Who's 50th year. Which is why we've convened here. So, uh, Terence Lodge, thank you very much for yeah, your time. You're very welcome. Bless you. <laughs> Have me wittering away. Oh, it's fabulous. <laughs> I hope that was all right for you. Thank you. That was great. Thank you. Uh, my thanks to Terry. Um, I meet him again on a later Who's Round. You'll have to find out why that is in the future. But for now, more immediately, there's another Who's Round to come that you'll hear a snippet of shortly. But before that, let me direct you to Terry's charity, which is Macmillan Nurses, one we've done before, which is www.macmillan.org.uk. Uh, until the next time, thanks for listening. I remember turning round, I remember turning round to, to see it, uh, which was a, a huge shock of a monster. Yes. And I got my back to the thing, and I, I knew it was now that I turned and see the monster, and I didn't have it. Well, that could go for a start. <laughs> Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, The Fourth Doctor Adventures, Suburban Hell. Bit of a hiccupette in the catering department. I don't suppose you'd have a jar of mayonnaise about the house? This is suburban England, late 1970s by the decor. There's mixed nuts in the sideboard. Would you be a darling, put them in a dish for me? We find ourselves in dire need of a few electronic oddments for the purpose of running repairs. And what are you driving? The doctor has a TARDIS. Well, that's one of those funny makes, isn't it, from Eastern Europe? So there is a wrinkle in time in the street outside? Yes, and the TARDIS has slipped to the far side of that instability. I do not understand this temporal ruckage, only that it caused the TARDIS to disappear just as soon as we stepped out of it. Curious, this picture. Woman with a blue face, oh, I should say so. Look at the sky in the background. Well, I see a stars. Stars, exactly. This particular astronomical arrangement is visible only from a point deep within the heart of the constellation Monoceros. Thing is, we were wondering about the Hopkinses. The people who used to live here. No one wants to say about them. Was there some scandal? What's that noise? Are we expecting someone for dinner? Only you. What is it you want? You have three minutes more to surrender the vessel. What's it on about? I don't know. Uh, you two got a boat? I think them blue things might be uh, eating him. Well, Doctor, can't say it's not been a good innings, but this time the chips are down and here comes the ketchup. Big finish. We love stories.